Cheese. Recorded live. Greetings. It's actually 12.01. I'm supposed to call or Nikki on autism. And I just, it's not like flustered, but I just had some issues calling in. So I was like, oh, I'm not going to be on time. I'm going to make a I shouldn't have to be, you know. So tonight, or this morning, because it's January 10th, the weekend is here. This morning's show is entitled, Not All Who Wander Are Lost, Autism and Wandering. And I have a lot of information to share, and I was kind of doing like a preliminary run-through, and I'm, I just, there's so much information to share, and I was trying to come, I was trying to think of a proper way to, to relay this, um, so let me just kind of give an overview of elopement um, or wandering and how it relates to individuals with autism. Um, I don't know that almost every week you hear of an individual, a child or an adult who has is missing. Um, People don't know where they are, where they um, can find the individual. Um, just and I, I just picked out some cases. Um, some of them end, you know, well, and some of them don't. Um, just to go through a few. Missing girl wandered into house, made herself at home during search. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Of course, I can't get it to. To come up, uh, missing four-year-old boy found in pond. That's the one that just happened recently over the holidays, uh, where an indiv- a child was missing for a couple of days. And uh, I just realized this resource I put up there is about Aaron Hernandez and not about this child. That's not good. I'm going to have to get rid of that. Uh, uh, nonverbal autistic teenager I. Isaac uh, Loyola gone missing in South London. Uh, Jose Leon, missing man with autism, found in Doxbury. Now, out of the four stories that I posted, the most of the individuals were found alive, and um, that's a good thing, obviously. But in some cases, elopement does not end well for the individual who has wandered or who is missing or lost. And basically the purpose of this this show is to kind of identify some of the reasons why individuals on the autism spectrum may elope and, and what you as parent or caregiver can do to prevent and protect that loved one. Because it's, it's very scary. And I'm speaking from experience because I, I have three children on the spectrum and all three have eloped in one form or another. The most the most scary time was with my daughter, um, who she, I totally wasn't expecting it. Uh, we were outside and I was inside and outside. So I was doing something in the kitchen and doing something outside. She was out in the backyard. I have a fenced-in backyard. I live in an urban area, so my front door kind of opens out into the street. But we were in the backyard. The gate doesn't have a, a lock on it, but it has a latch. And I came into the house. I think I must have been in the house maybe in a minute, which is could be it is a long time when someone was missing when you think about it. But to me at the time, a minute didn't seem that long. So I was in the house, maybe a minute. I come back out, and my daughter's not outside. And so I don't immediately freak out because this is not, you know, when you have kids, they, they're small. They, they sneak around, you know. So I didn't immediately freak out. I just thought maybe I didn't, I, I don't know how I would have missed her because I was just in the kitchen with, which opens to that back door, which opens to the outside. So unless she kind of like stealthily, you know, snuck by me, I don't know how I would have missed her. But, you know, when you go walk out and see that nobody's out there, you think, okay, you don't go, immediately go to the worst-case scenario. 
So I went into the house and I called her, no call, and I'm thinking, okay, maybe she's hiding from me. So I go look in her room. I go look in the attic. I go look in the closet. And now my heartbeat is starting to race a little bit because I realize she's not here. So I go and I go out front and I look down the street and I'm thinking by this time maybe five minutes has has elapsed since I last saw her. So I go and I look down the street both directions and I don't see her. And I fully expected that I would see her like running down the sidewalk. Didn't see a thing. There was nobody on the street. So now I'm getting a little flustered. So at the time I only had three children and my my two older children were watching TV and on the computer. And so now I'm like, we have to go find my daughter. Um, I don't know if anybody has ever tried to get two autistic kids who are very comfortable doing what they want to do to hurry up, throw on some shoes, and get out the door and get in the car. But it's not its not a quick process. <laughs> and, in fact, it can be related to being almost impossible. But eventually I kind of yelled them into the car. And we get in the car, and then I think, well, what if she comes back to the house while I'm in the car looking for her? And I'm thinking, well, let me go. She's probably just down the street. I just couldn't see her. So I'm driving down the street with the kids in the back, and I'm, every person I see on the street, I'm asking them, did you see a girl who was wearing this, a little girl? You know, I'm describing them to her. And then as I, I went around the I just did a one block because I'm like one block one way and then one block the other way. There's a park at the end of the other block. So I think maybe she went to the park. You know, that's something a six, seven-year-old girl might do. She knew she knows it's there. Maybe she really wanted to go. She's not there. I asked the people at the park if they've seen her. Nobody's seen her. And I'm like, how did it? How did she disappear and nobody's seen her? And I just freaked out. So then I called my parents and I told them because I needed some. I needed some help. I didn't know what to do. And then I called the police. So eventually. My daughter was probably missing a good 35, 40, 45 minutes. And those were the longest 45 minutes ever because it's, it's really kind of crazy because I'm an I'm optimist at heart. So I'm naturally not going to go to the worst case scenario. But after about 20 minutes and no luck, you start thinking about all those lifetime movies of missing and abducted children that you've ever seen and all those, um, you know, uh, America's Most Wanted and all these different things where the storyline is, you know, somebody picks Billy up in a van or whatever. You start thinking about that stuff, and I don't mean to make light of it, but it's just it just becomes very present in your mind of what could possibly happen. Even if you're the most optimistic person alive, you start to think, oh, my God, it's been 20 minutes. How, if somebody picked her up, 20 minutes, they could be halfway to Delaware by now. They could be halfway to, I'm in Pennsylvania, by the way. They could be halfway to, you know, the, the, our, our nearest major city of Philadelphia. They could be halfway to Maryland, you know. And as the time ticks by, you're just thinking, like, at a certain point, you're losing more and more control of the situation because more variables time becomes a variable, um, you know, and then obviously your loved one's challenges become a variable because my daughter, she is somewhat verbal. She's very extremely friendly, um, giggling and smile. She's ornery. Uh, but if someone was friendly to her, she, she would be friendly. And then if someone tried to ask her her name, there's like a 50-50 chance she would tell them. If they asked her what her mother's name was, probably an 80-20 chance or 20-80 chance she would tell them, let alone her address. Could she lead them to back to her home? Probably not. And you start thinking about all the things that you could have been working on for IEP goals and behavior goals and why weren't you working on how do you get back to your house and what's your name and address and why didn't she have tags on that had all this information, and you just start thinking about all these things that you should have done, things that probably were on your list to do, like they were on my list to do, of 
oh, for safety, I, I need to probably start working on this. And none of them, none of them were there. And, and eventually the police found her. Well, she had ended up going to someplace familiar. She ended up going to my dad's office. and But she had run through the street. She had to cross two streets, one a major highway with cars zipping 40, 50 miles per hour on the road. Uh, the people that had found her, they happened to know my dad, and they happened to know who she was because she had been at the office before. They called the police, and the police had my information, which I had given them, and their information, and put two and two together and picked her up and brought her home, and she was safe. And it was probably one of the scariest things that have ever happened to me in my life. And I can imagine, I don't know if it was that scary to her, though, because she came home with a smile on her face. So, But, you know, it could have gone, it could have gone a lot worse. And... You know, so I'm very blessed, and she's very blessed that it didn't go in numerous other directions that it could have. But it's it's preventable, but it's also at the whim, too. You know, you also have to think of the reasons why your child might elope. Uh, in particular, my daughter's reasons, most likely she was trying to get to her grandmother's house and her grandmother lived in another state like 26 miles away um my other daughter who eloped she we found her by a pond of water and she loves water she's kind of one of those i mean that's one thing one of not i'm going to call it a hallmark but a lot of kids on the spectrum are drawn to water and she's one of them and that's where we found her um, my son, I, to this day, I still have no idea where he went. He just left, and after I called the police, maybe he was missing for maybe an hour and a half. He just showed up again. I have no idea where he was, and I'll m- probably never know until he starts talking and tells me, oh, Mom, remember this time when I was, like, seven or eight and I disappeared? This is where I went. Yeah. I have no idea where he went. So... So I still don't know what the motivation is. The only time he did it, he never did it again afterwards. It, it, you know, how can you be prepared for something like that? Well, I'm going to tell you how you can be prepared for something like that because I have numerous research, resources that can give you an insight into what you can do to be a little better prepared so that if your child who previously never eloped or a loved one previously never eloped, decides that they want to go on a little trip, you're at least a little bit more prepared than I was the, you know, couple of times that it happened to me. So first things first, I want to read to you some statistics or share with you some statistics from a study that was done uh, by um, the Interactive Autism Network. And I am uh, pleased to say that I'm actually familiar quite personally familiar with Interactive Autism Network because before, maybe a month before it actually was opened to the world, um, the creator, um, Dr. Paul Walsh, my organization brought him to our area and he spoke about what he was doing. And then like a month later, here it was for everybody else. And we had him, we had him here first, you know, we had him in our area first. <laughs> But um, I met him, and um, so he's very committed to what he's doing. Very, you know, very statistical, very scientific. The inter, if you're not familiar with it, the interactive autism network is basically a database of information based off of parent surveys, based off of studies, based off of they they, they research pretty much anything possible related to autism. They research treatments. They research the gluten-free, caseine-free diet. They research other biomedical treatments. They research, me- research medications. Um, the good thing about what they do, or what I like about what they do, regardless of where you fall on different things like the GFCS diet or like bio, um, not hydrophile, gosh, it just left my head, but the oxygen, hyperbaric oxygen tank, regardless of where you fall, you get a pretty good idea. Like, you can go on there and see um, 
like auditory integration therapy. Some some people believe in it. Some people think it's quackery, you know. So you can go on there and look up auditory integration therapy. You can see research studies that may have been done about it. And then you can also see parent narratives. So you can weigh the quote-unquote empirical data versus firsthand accounts. Sometimes they support one another, sometimes they don't. So it's a very, really, it's a really cool resource. It's fairly easy to use. I've gone on there and looked up certain things. But they were commissioned a couple of years ago. I want to say, um, I believe it was 2010. They were commissioned to do a study on autism. I believe, I think they were commissioned by the government or possibly one of these autism large autism organizations. Um, I'm not sure. I don't want to say that because I might not be telling the truth when I say that. So um, I just lost the page. I love that. Okay. So anyway, let me read, read you some of the really pertinent statistics that may interest you, may influence you a little bit on, on um, autism and wondering. Okay. So basically, I've given you the background of the study, which is participants in the study included families of 1,218 children with ASD and 1,076 of their siblings, siblings without ASD recruited through an online questionnaire. The primary outcome measured by researchers was, researchers was elopement status beginning at age four, when elopement and wandering are increasingly atypical behaviors. Missing status was a secondary outcome. A child who eloped and has gone missing long enough to cause concern was coded as missing, whereas those who had, who had not coded as non-missing. The study's findings on elopement prevalence characteristics correlated with elopement and qualitative measures of family stress are presented below. So what they found out of the people that they interviewed, nearly half of them, 49%, attempted of their children attempted to elope at least once after the age of four. Of those who attempted elopement, 53% went missing long enough to cause a concern. Now since they don't really go into long enough to cause a concern, I'm going to go out on a limb, and if I think if a parent had to call the police, that's enough to cause a concern. If they had to get a neighborhood watch together to look for their kid, that's probably cause for concern. You know, there's times that my children have eloped, and they were on the front porch. You know, and for me, they left the front door, and I couldn't find them within the house, and they were outside, not where they were expected to be. So those are minor cases in my situate in my case. But if I have to call the police, if I have to call my parents, if I have to call, if I have to knock on my neighbor's doors and let them know my daughter's missing, to me that's a concern. Because honestly, I'm not going to do any of those things if I think that I can find my daughter myself or my son. So, okay, so from age four to seven, 40 to 6 percent of children with ASD eloped, which is four times the rate of unaffected siblings. So that's not four times the rate of quote-unquote, typical, this is four times the rate of their unaffected siblings. From age 8 to 11, 27% of the affected children eloped compared to 1%. So if we're going to break down that information, I find those statistics a little interesting because what's happening between the ages of 4 to 7? One, kids are leaving the house to go to places like preschool, kindergarten, and school, Right? Two, typically, in most circumstances, parents are getting diagnoses for their children around that age. You know, two and a half, three is like the early, but it can span all the way to age eight as far as when the majority of children get diagnosed with autism. So between those those years, you're dealing with probably the least amount of educated parents the parents are probably least educated during that time period because, one, they're just getting enough information that, that something is different about their child, and, two, they're just starting to try to research to figure out what it is, what treatment's effective, what, whatever. So they don't know about any of the other, any of the other issues or challenges that they're, they're interested in. And if you if you look at even when when it drops, so to speak, after kind of in the ages of eight to eleven, by that time, parents know they're either involved in some sort of support group or some sort of online community or something where they probably had some exposure. 
but he addresses that and the, the Ian network addresses that in their study because they said that where is that um, where is that fifty six percent of parents reported elopement as one of the most stressful behaviors they had to cope with. No, that's not the one I'm looking for. Here it is. 50% of parents reported receiving no guidance from anyone on preventing or addressing their child's development behavior. Now, that's 50%. That's a pretty hefty number, in my opinion, because, but I think some of the circumstances might be that at a particular time where, at least from this research, the particular time where the elopement is the highest is when parents are um, the least educated. Now, what do I say about me? My daughter, the youngest, <laughs> she did it. So I can't, that doesn't pertain to me because I knew about elopement, but I didn't know it was an issue for her um, until she did it. So, But I'm just thinking parents that probably have one kid who's on the spectrum and first time, like when it happened with my son, you know, totally out of the blue. It was not, you know, that was one of the scariest days. I've had a lot of scary days in my life, but <laughs> that was one of them because totally wasn't expecting him to not be around. So, but that's why I wanted to do the show, just my little part, and put together kind of a visual of resources because we don't, as parents, we don't have a lot of time. Um particularly if you're working outside of the home and, you know, if you're only seeing your kids. I mean, it's just there's so much information available, it, it, almost too much, that to kind of sit down and sift through it all and know what it all means, it, it's just, it's a mountain's worth of information. And you need somebody, you need something to kind of, help you identify the, the important points. And that's kind of what I try to do. Um, I, I can take a lot of information and, and condense it to what is important about it. So, um, so obviously the most important thing about today's show is when we get to the prevention and resources part of it, of the show. But I just want to set up for any of you who have younger children who are on the spectrum and you have an experience it's not that this is you may go through it um, without it happening to you whatsoever. And that kind of goes back to why. Why did the kids do it? And, you know, my one daughter, she wanted to go see her, her grandmother. That's why she did it. My other daughter wanted to go play in the water. That's why she did it. Um, my son, I have, still have no idea why he did it. <laughs> but they, there's reasons. It's not, it's not like... It's not one of those things where it's going to pop up and you're not really going to know why. You're, it's, you're going to get some warning signs. Um, the things that I should have been noticing about my daughter, the one I ended up having to call the police twice for, um, is that, you know, she was increasingly spending time at the door, looking out the window, looking out the door um, window. Uh, just different things that... If, if I had known better, you know, then I would have said, hmm, maybe I should get a door alarm. You know? And then we ended up getting a door alarm afterwards, you know, so that way, that way we could hear the front door. But, of course, she had left out of that. She was already outside the first time that she had done it. But, you know, just now, I, it also made me realize that I needed to have pretty close to 24, super, 24 hours supervision over her because, she, you know, they're, they're, she couldn't be trusted with a minute. And it even hurts me to even say that she couldn't be trusted because really it was curiosity that was pushing her to, you know, curiosity, independence, um, you know, stick to itness. These are all good qualities in the right setting, not good qualities. So, <laughs> You know, she's not going, she doesn't obey the, 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 the safety law. She's running out on the street. She didn't tell me that she was going anywhere, that she wanted to go anywhere. But she had told me that she wanted to go see her grandmother. And I told it wasn't convenient at the time. But that wasn't, I guess, it was, that wasn't her problem, that it wasn't convenient for 
for me to take her to see her grandmother or for her grandmother to come pick her up or anything. That wasn't her problem. <laughs> that was our problem. So, But um, 50% of parents receiving no guidance. I'm sure that after this, this was a pretty big study. Uh, you know, I think the first of its kind that kind of really went into elopement. A lot of the major autism organizations like Autism Speaks, Autism Society of America, um, started putting together pamphlets, books, um, you know, information for parents, for caregivers in the case of elopement. And a lot of people had been working on things. There's a woman in my area who had done something called a premise alert. Now we're getting to the prevention aspect of it. Now, after my daughter, after I ended up calling the police and my daughter was found, uh, my mom came over and we compiled some information. She helped me compile some information. And <clears throat> excuse me for that. Um, we ended up filling out. <clears throat> we ended up filling out these premise alerts and submitting them to our local police station. So what what it is is it's basically a form, kind of like a dossier of your kid. It has your kid's picture on it has their vital statistics, you know, their height, weight, eye color, distinguishing marks, your address, your telephone number. And then there's, you know, some information like their functioning level, likes, dislikes, whether they um, avoid strangers or, you know, has that information. You have it on file. You should update it every year. I'm actually due to update my kids information soon, but it's being proactive, and what happens, you know, God forbid that it has to be used, what happens is that when I call the police and say, you know, my daughter is missing, they go to this, you know, this sheet, and they can uh, disseminate this to all their police officers who are on patrol or and who are dispatched. So that when someone calls and says, we've got a little, you know, African-American girl with braids in her hair, wearing a, um, she, her birthday is this, she, she doesn't like to be touched on her, her arm. You know, I mean, they can have this information and they see this little girl running around the street. They say, I bet you that's her. <laughs> you know, and then even when they approach her, if she doesn't, um, if she responds to a nickname versus her, you know, her regular name, that information is on that sheet. So that's proactive, you know, so that, that is being prepared. The other preventative measure that every, and I mean every parent should do, is just have a simple plan. A simple plan of what are you going to do should you lose your kids. That means if you lose, if they wander off or you lose them at the grocery store, um, if you're at home and they decide to elope, um, if they're at school, how is the school? There's IEP goals that can be written, particularly if there's an issue um, for your loved one. There's IEP goals that can be written to to address that so that everybody's on the same page. Because I don't know, I mean, how familiar are with autism missing kids, but last year a major case happened where Nonverbal autistic uh, boy. I think he, he was the same age as my my oldest son at the time. He's 15. He walked right out of school. Walked right out of school. They found him. Um, I don't see the husband. It was in New York, but they found him in the river. Months later, they found his his remains. So, I remember people were looking for it. It was it was all over like social media and. It was in the news a little bit, but, you know, what do you do? You you need to have a plan for that. You know, God forbid it actually happening, but you need to have a plan for if you're at work or you're at home and you get a call on your cell phone and the teacher says your son is missing, He we last had him here at 3 o'clock and we don't know, he didn't get on the bus or, you know, he didn't show up for his last class. Or if you're home and you're expecting your kid to come off the bus at a certain time and 
either the bus doesn't show up or he doesn't show up, what are you going to do? You know, you need to have steps. You need to work out a plan written down on your computer wherever of what you're going to do and have whatever resources that you need to have in place if you have other children and something happens, you know, are you going to take these other kids out to go search for your, for your missing kid or are you going to drop them off at a, a neighbor or family member's house? I mean, these are the, the small things that, like, I made the mistake with my own daughter when she was missing when I first realized that she was no longer on the premise of the house. I should have called the police right then and there. But I waited. I got my kids together. I went outside. I drove around the block a couple of times. I called my parents. And then I called the police. 20 minutes. Nah, I don't even say 20 minutes. Maybe 15 minutes had elapsed from when I discovered she was missing to the time that I called the police. In that time, so many different things could have happened. You know, had I called them sooner, the sooner that you get people out looking for your kids, the better. So, um... The, um, a particularly great resource that I should have the benefit of accessing is the um, National Autistic uh, Association, or sorry, National Autism Association. They have a big red safety box. They've been putting this thing together for the last couple of years. I happened to be able to um, get one for free last year. It has little red stop signs. You put these at the door, sometimes a visual reminder that when a child gets through the door stops, sometimes that helps. Um, they have door alarms in there. The best thing about it is they have a thing called the Big Red Book. And it's basically, I think it's 40, 50 pages of what you should do. They have social, it has social stories in there. It has the IP goals that I was telling you about. But it also has a way for you to make a plan and ask you questions things that you should really think about um, when, you know, contemplating what would you do in the event something like this happened. These things that I'm mentioning, I don't know if they're charging. I, I was able to get one for free. I don't know if they're charging um, for them. I mean, because on this site where I have the research, it says just $35 will cover the cost of providing this life-saving toolkit at no charge. So I think if you're a family, if you have someone in your family who is on the spectrum, I think you can get it for free. Um, oh, and it has a list of what's in there. It says our, our Get Ready booklet contains a caregiver checklist, a family wandering emergency plan, a first responder profile form, which is like the premise alert that I was telling you about, a wandering prevention brochure, a sample IEP letter, and a student profile form. It has two uh, windows slash door alarms, one road ID personal and engraved shoe tag, Laminated adhesive stop signs, two safety alert window clings for car, home, or windows, and a red safety alert wristband. Now, the window clings are nice. I have one on my front door, and it says, occupant with autism may run away, may not speak, may resist. But if you ever have something happen in, in your house, let's say, I mean, like I said, I hate to throw out all these negative things, but let's say, you know, you fall on the steps, you're unconscious, or something happens, and the police have to actually come into your house, you know, and then they encounter your autistic nonverbal kid. Now what? <laughs> I mean, that's, I, I don't, I'm only laughing, you know, I'm not laughing. It's a very serious thing to consider, but it's like what happens when they try to interrogate your kid who looks totally, you know, uh, typical. They're not, they're, they don't look like they have, uh, you know, they have invisible disabilities, what you call it where, you know, they don't look like they can't answer a question. I imagine, like, some of the looks that my son gives me sometimes, my 16-year-old son, that if he gave them to a law um, enforcement you know, person, you know, a cop, a police officer, then, you know, he would might end up in the back of a squad car because he, he looks like he's being uh, arrogant, disrespectful, you know. And then if he didn't say anything, and then he has these kind of jerky, flappy movements. And, you know, in today's uh, political crime climate with all these things happening with African-American males, you know, these are things that you need to, 
you need to do some preventative measures, particularly if you have a son, particularly if he's African-American, and particularly if he's nonverbal or has low communication and is not going to respond to someone's questioning. And then one one thing they suggest or I've seen suggested before is that you, you introduce the concept of police and fire and EMS uniforms, pictures. You introduce that to your child so that when they see a particular type of uniform, they feel comfortable. They don't look at it as something. I mean, because uniforms, the thing about uniforms, and it works obviously for them and against them, is that they do command a certain amount of respect and authority, but, you know, they're not normal looking. So your kids don't see them every day. It's almost like seeing a clown or, you know, going, you know, seeing somebody dressed up as a mascot or something. It's not something that you expect, and it can be quite traumatic for individuals who don't look at the world the same way that we do who are, and who are not, uh, for lack of a better word, socialized in the same way that we are. I mean, you know, our first, as a quote-unquote typical people, our first introduction to police and cops, you know, usually like in kindergarten or daycare or whatever, where, you know, I mean, for the longest time, I wanted to be a police officer. That's how much indoctrination as a child I got that these are good things, good people, and they are for the most part. The police officers in my area have been tremendously helpful and resourceful in helping me find my children when they get lost. So, But what I'm saying is that when your child with autism encounters something like that, it could be a trauma, a traumatic, you know, event. It could be something that would make them resist because it's not a normal everyday outfit that they're going to see, particularly if somebody's in a fire uniform with those hats and the bright colors. That could be very traumatic to your to your loved one on the spectrum. So you need to prepare them for certain circumstances like that, even if it's, like, something that you go over, like, once a month, like, in a, in a social story, you know, it's some, you know, this person is okay. <laughs> this person is okay. However, I mean, you, you gauge it to their ability level and their ability to be able to process and understand it. In some cases, that might just be inter, inter, introducing the concept of somebody wearing this type of uniform to them and making them feel comfortable with seeing that. You can even go as far as even taking your kid to a police department and uh, having them see a whole bunch of individuals dressed like this or taking them, you know, uh, they do that in the schools. I don't know if they're still wearing it, but I know that they, they always bring used to bring in police officers. Oh, the best day, the best day at school was when the firemen came and they brought the fire truck. Oh, I loved it. But it, it was so, such good feelings behind it because, it, you know, it's so fun. It's the firemen are coming today when you found out it was the best day at school ever. So I don't know if they do that for, um, in special schools, you know. If they don't, they should. I should probably find that out just for my own knowledge, but I digress. My point is, is that you want to start getting your kid ready for encountering certain types of individuals. You also want to make sure that you're, like I said, we gave out premise alerts to all the local police stations with where my daughter would be. It, uh, my parents, the local police station near them, my local police station, the one for the town that's not that far away from us, so that they would be prepared should they encounter my daughter um, or should, you know, like I said, it coincided, I called, someone else called, description is the same as this girl we have in the file. Um, what else? Um, or something. I want to go over, like, the ways of just being preventative and being smart before we get into ways that cost money. Um, obviously, your child's life is worth more than any $50, $60, $70 thing that you could buy, and it's worth it. I mean, you have your child go missing for 40, 45 minutes, there's no cost that you would not pay to prevent that from happening again. But if you can, you know, just be smart about um what you teach your child and how you're making a plan. Honestly, I think having the plan is a lifesaver. I've had a situation, I had a situation where all three of my kids disappeared at the grocery store one day. Um, I didn't have a plan for that. I spent pretty much like 30 minutes 
walking up and down each and every aisle trying to find each child one by one and you know maybe I should have gone to customer service I mean that's sound then um, but my point is that these are things that when something like this happens you go into okay what's on my plan my plan is contact me store management my plan is call the police my plan is call backup support person to come help you know these are the things you know that you go through so that you're not left waiting and waiting. A um, little kind of connected before I get into the rest of the resources, kind of connected but sort of off a little bit. But I read this in my research because, and I just wanted to convey this. Um, a family that has 22 year old twins uh, on the spectrum. They were found, they found the twins locked in a cellar. The police had been called to another totally unrelated incident in this neighborhood, and they were actually drawn to the cellar because of the intense urine and human waste smell. They broke the door into the cellar. They found these two grown men um, locked in there laying on like a urine-soaked mattress, right? Horrible, horrifying. Um, 22 years old, 22-year-old young men on the spectrum. So obviously they arrested the parents. Um, mom's excuse was that they had only been locking the, the twins in the bedroom at night because they eloped. Now, mind you, that's probably a bunch of BS. Uh, you know, no, it, it doesn't get that, that urine and fecal smell doesn't get that bad, you know, and if they're only locking them in there overnight, even if you can, even if you can, I guess, identify with the concept of it, it's, it's just the state that they reportedly found them in just belies a whole other picture of what may have been happening. Mom and dad have seven other children. But the question was, is why didn't anybody notice what was happening? Why didn't anybody help? Why, why didn't, why, 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 why are these two adults locked in a cellar sleeping on a blood, uh, uh, urine soaked bed? So um, why is this relate? One of the biggest issues like for something like elopement and for something just for something to get out of hand. And there's no pity for these parents. These parents are horrible. I mean, I, I have compassion for everybody, and I, and I have compassion for these individuals as well. Um, I know that things can get out of hand. Things can go crazy. Um, things have gone crazy for me. Not, you know, thank God not to that extent, but it doesn't, you know, particularly one of the comments from somebody who found that the individuals is that this is where poverty and disability intersect, you know. And it, it is, there's a validity in what's happened here, and this is why I do what I do, is, is that, you know, people don't know. And I can see a mom or, or dad becoming overwhelmed with what happens um, with their, with you know, with the, some of the behaviors associated with autism and not knowing what to do and thinking, really getting to the point where they're thinking that locking their kids in a cellar is an appropriate option. It's not. It's not an appropriate option. It's not in no way, shape, or form. And you have to wonder, was there not an aunt or a cousin or an uncle or a grandfather or a neighbor or a friend or a social worker or a teacher or a doctor or anybody, the countless people that you have to deal with when you, when you have individuals uh, with autism in your life, was there no one that noticed this? I mean, someone, if the police noticed the smell, then the neighbors noticed the smell. So it, was it just a hear no evil, see no evil, smell no evil type of thing, or was it a situation where people just didn't care? Was it a situation where these people were pushing people away? 
I'm not a big government type of person. I don't believe that the state should be able to come in and take your kids at a drop of a dime. But you've got to wonder, who who else failed these twins in their lives? I mean, at 22, they're well, they, they, they're well out of school, you know, possibly. Um, if the parents didn't have the finances or didn't have the wherewithal to sign them up for certain other um certain other um, benefits, they may not have been in any sort of day programs. I mean, that they were nonverbal, uh, no functional communication system apparently uh, from the, the people who found them. So somebody, somebody else, you know, somebody else should have stepped in. And so what I'm saying is that one of the reasons, some of the information that I got discussed, um, if I can find it here real quickly, discussed the effect of elopement on the family as a whole. And some of the things that, um, we'll get to that in a minute. Let's see, where's the other thing I wanted to read? Uh, some of the things that it contributes to, a lot of people said stress. Like I mentioned before, 24-hour supervision. You really, You can't turn your back. I mean, particularly in circumstances where excuse me, where um, a child does it totally out of the blue and you don't know what the trigger is, basically you're kind of batting with a a blindfold over your eyes because you have no idea what's going to, why they did it, whether they're going to do it again. And so you constantly have to either get locked for the doors. What if you can't afford a $10, $15 window or or door alarm, or what if you can't, what if you're working? And, I mean, my point is is that there's a lot of things that go into these things, go into these circumstances, and a lot of ways that things can get out of hand, and we don't want that. You know, no one wants that. It broke my heart to read the the conditions that they found these boys in, you know, and it made me sad that what what is what was their what did they see how did they see the world you know like what what goes through their minds after the people that are entrusted to take care of them lock them somewhere and allow them to sit in their own waste products you know what I mean like it's those little things and you and you you mourn for their spirits and their souls that they had to go through that. So um, it's like a 40-page document, and I'm trying to find just one little information it talks about. um, Let's see. If I can't find it, I'm going to go on to the next topic. I'm not seeing it. Even though I had all this stuff organized. (laughs) It's not here. Is this it? Nope. Let's see if I have to see it. It's on the CDC website. Mm. Okay. Well, basically, it was something to just talk about the different effects to the family. Um, But if you're going through this, you already know what the effects are. And if you're not, I, I think I've told you enough that you can kind of get a good picture. So let's talk about some solutions and some of the major things that are being done. Aside from the resources, on my companion, there is a resource that shows seven electronic devices that you can use. I'm not going to go into them because I don't I don't use them. I don't have any personal um, personal uh, research or relevancy to that. I know they're available. I know they can get pretty pricey. Um, after my daughter eloped, we worked on behavioral modification, and we worked on uh, trying to figure out what she wanted, and we worked from that aspect. Uh, but it's always an option, and it's even always on on my list of things that I might consider. Uh, so as a community, and I mean community in the large sense of the autism, a national autism community, there are organizations that are working towards making the response better or improve 
So, that, like, in particular, the situation that just happened with the four-year-old, you know, it was a couple of days. I think I want to say it was four days between when he was reported missing to when they found his body. So, and, uh, like, I'm not, I don't know the specifics of the situation, so I'm definitely not saying that anything should have been quicker, or, you know. But, you know, I guess how I'll put it is this way, is how the more streamlined and organized that we can make things, the, the better outcomes, the more lives will get saved. So now you're familiar with the Amber Alert system. I don't, if you didn't know this, this is something that I learned. A child that has autism is missing doesn't necessarily, uh, well, doesn't qualify for an Amber Alert. Now, uh, if you've ever seen them, these Amber Alerts are fantastic when a child is abducted. So, and that's primarily what they're used for. To qualify for an ambulance, a missing child has to meet the following criteria. Law enforcement must confirm that an abduction has taken place. The child is at risk of serious injury or death. There is sufficient descriptive information of a child captor or a captor's vehicle to issue an alert, and the child must be 17 years old or younger. So it's a great system. It's a totally national system, and you've seen the billboards if you're on the highway and they, when an Amber Alert goes off, you've gotten the emails, you've gotten the text messages. I mean, this thing, I, will, I'll get an Amber Alert from, like, like Western, I'm in southeastern Pennsylvania, but from Western Pennsylvania, and I'm, like, looking at cars and license plates and stuff. It's that thorough that people who are totally unrelated can be galvanized very quickly to start looking for an individual. Um, but our kids don't qualify because they're technically they're not abducted. They're want they're they eloped. They're missing. But if people are working, a lot of these organizations that I mentioned previously, like the NAA, Autism Speaks, um, uh, Autism Society of America are working on kind of getting a separate AMBER alert for individuals with disabilities or get, get the system to, to um, include our kids because if that could happen, can you imagine, you know, you have, you pretty much amplify the amount of eyes by, by a hundredfold that could be possibly looking for a missing child and a child who's eloped. Now, I don't know if you've, there's amber alerts, but then there's things that are called silver alerts. Silver alerts are um, uh, different by state. Um, I don't even believe my state has a silver alert, but it's for older people with Alzheimer's or dementia. Um, and basically, um, It's like an Amber Alert, but like I said, it's for older people. So if we could kind of co-opt this system or be included in this system, that would probably save a lot of lives. Um, and that's something that anybody could kind of get behind if you're looking for something to work on because it's, it's one of those things that people are actively working on. And I'm trying to figure out ways myself that I could help push that movement along, particularly, I mean, it's great, like, even in our individual communities, to, for me to be able to call the police and then to come out and basically in 45 minutes find my daughter. I mean, that's absolutely amazing. You know, but like I said, in situations where maybe an eloped child turns into some sort of other type of thing, an Amber Alert or a national system that has access to video cameras and, you know, other things that just you don't necessarily have access to in a small community, you, you could definitely speed up the, the time that it takes to find somebody who has uh, who's eloped. So, okay, so the next thing I wanted to discuss is, I'm sorry, is discuss, I'm getting sleepy. Oh, and it's 12.56, so I guess the next thing I'll discuss is wrapping, wrapping this up a little bit. I, I know I, there's so much I wanted to get to. One particular thing that I thought was interesting, and for some reason I see a link or I see a way we could connect this information, but I didn't, I didn't know how to. <laughs> but 
the people who get lost really walk in circles. New research offers an, an answer. So they research people who get lost in like the Sahara Desert and, and out in like the Pacific Northwest. Research what happens, and what they found is that during the day when people get lost, people tend to walk in straight lines, so to speak. And but at night when it gets darker, people start walking around in circles. So their their you know the advice from this research is that basically if you get lost, just stop and wait until somebody finds you. Um, but I I was thinking about this in relationship to autism. You know, uh, they said that the majority of individuals who elope are not really lost. That's why I use not all who wander are lost because they tend to have a goal in mind. For my one daughter, it was to to play in the water. That was her goal. She met her goal. She, you know, if a bird had flew by, she might have chased that, but ultimately it was to play in the water. For my other daughter, it was to go to her grandmother's house, and she just didn't know which direction or where, how to get there, but she was going to attempt to get there. So it's not like a situation where, I don't know, I just thought it was an interesting article. It's, kind of unrelated, I guess, when you really think about it. It just sounded interesting. Um, um, Okay, so I would direct you to, I put the link in the chat room. I'm going to put a link in my show information to the elopement and research. Honestly, this is the real gift of of this show, which is there's Faith and Sound from the Autism Society of America. There's the Big Red Safety Box from... Uh, the NAA, there's AWARE, A-W-A-A-R-E, Autism Wandering Resources, which are connected with NAA. There is seven tracking devices to find a lost child with autism. There's Autism and Wandering, Stop, Seek, and Stay. This is something that's been put out by Holly Robinson-Pete, and it's actually for individuals. If you find somebody with autism, you stop, you seek, and you stay with them. This does a little public service announcement. I've linked to that. Um, and the new resources. There's Project Lifesaver, okay? Um, This thing is fabulous. Basically, it is a police-directed initiative that uses all the tracking information, everything that police use to do their job. They're galvanizing it to use to find missing people. They do this for Alzheimer's patients. They do this for individuals with autism. They do training. They do um, all sorts of things. Um, so I put a link to that, Project Lifesaver. Also, um, there's the current events. There's a Facebook page called Missing Persons Autism. People go there and they post their missing loved, person, loved one on there. Um, kind of go and see. Uh, the other thing, there was one other thing I was just thinking of when I brought up Project Lifesaver. Oh, a dog, service dog. Service dogs can be trained to recognize your child's scent. They get lost. The service dog will either try to keep them in the area or they'll be able to track your loved one with autism. So that's kind of another very expensive. Service dogs are like $10,000. So it's not a cheap uh, thing. (laughs) And then to teach them, you know, you can teach them all kinds of things, stuff. Um, you know, sensory issues and whatnot. Oh, my time is up, guys. Okay, it's 1 a.m. Like I told you, I didn't. I felt like I wouldn't be able to get to all the information I would have wanted before we visit the subject. Um, in the meantime, stay safe. Um, love your family, love your kids, and um, I'll talk to you next week at midnight. Um, haven't thought of the next show idea, so um, stay tuned. I'm on Google Plus. And I put it in Facebook on uh, the Autism Community and Care Connection website uh, or, or fan page. Um, and I'm on Twitter. I put it on Twitter, you know, with the top of stars. So if you're following me on any of those things or you go there for information or however you got here in the first place, keep keep going there if you want to if you want to join me again. My name's Nicole. This is All in Autism. I'm out. Thanks for joining me. Peace.